Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Passion drive and patience what brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers roof racks exhaust kits led headlights and more whether you're into speed power or style ebay motors has got you covered with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die you'll always find exactly what you're looking for and with ebay guaranteed fit your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This week on Into the Archives, you've heard about him a ton on the, on the Boone podcast. Uh, my favorite skipper of all time. Uh, when, the, when this guy was born, they definitely broke the mold, uh, tons of success, 1990 world series champion, didn't get into the hall of fame this year. I think in the years, uh, moving forward, I think you're going to see his name on that list. The great Lou Pinella. Sometimes you just need to enjoy a classic. Join us as we go into the archives. Hey, we going back and put our ear to the history books with this one. This is into the archives. Here's your host, Brett Boone. Skipper, Booty, I am so excited. This is my, to the fans of the Boone Podcast, I, I was fortunate in my career. I got to play for some great skippers. I got to play for Bruce Bochy. Yeah. Uh, Bobby, Bobby Cox, I got to play for oh, a day. telling you, these guys are good. But Skip, I got to admit, in the end... Push come to shove. Who's your favorite manager you ever played for? Booney's answer is always, I got to go with Lou. Lou, we had the the, the most fun times in, in all my memories. It's Lou was always a skipper. He, he, he never a dull moment. How you been? You been good? You sound great. Well, I'm, I've been good. I really have. I'm, I'm, I'm living here in Tampa, Florida. I play golf a few days a week. And whenever the weather's good, I get out there and do a little fishing out in the golf. So I'm not, I don't have much to complain about. I, I, you know, I, I, I enjoyed my baseball career. I enjoyed managing, but now really, uh, I, I don't miss it much at all. I, I really don't. I should, I should say I do, but I don't. Yeah. And I'm, I'm over here in Cali and, uh, I'm just chasing kids around trying to get my last two out of the house. I got twin boys, 16 and, and they make it tough, but, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm managing skip. I'm managing. I want to get into it real quick. Lou Pinella teammates, 
players, guys, and you've had a lot of them, not only teammates, but guys that have played for you. Who are your some, some of your all-time favorite guys? Could be a teammate when you were playing, could be someone you managed. Well, I'll tell you what, I had, I had a lot of great teammates, especially in New York with those Yankee teams that, that I played on that won world championships. You know, I had Thurman Munson, uh, Bobby Mercer. I had uh, Dave Winfield. Uh, in Kansas City, when I first came up to the big leagues, I had George Brett, Amos Otis, uh, and I managed many great players, Junior, uh, Randy Johnson, Edgar Martinez, yeah, uh, Ron Guidry, uh, Ricky Henderson. I mean, I've I've had a slew of them, and I know I'm missing a few, but boy, I'll tell you what, what what a fortunate career I had. You know, it took me a long time to get to the big leagues. I played in the minor leagues five full seasons. I didn't get to the big leagues on 1969, and probably because of expansion. And I was rookie of the year that year, and. Um, then I played for uh, till I was 42 years old, uh, and then I was managing the Yankees a year later for Mr. Steinbrenner. I learned a lot over there, but boy, George wasn't the easiest person in the world to work for. <laughs> yeah, Steinbrenner. And now, uh, you know, my brother Aaron, he's he's working for Young Steinbrenner. So oh, we'll so get to there's difference. There's a big difference between there's Young a big difference and 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 Mr. Steinbrenner. I love George, but boy, would he. He was tough to work for. He really was. His <laughs> brother, by the way, is doing a heck of a job over there with the Yankees. He really is. I, I enjoy seeing him down here in Tampa. Uh, when they come down to spring training, I usually pop in and say hello and see how the family's doing and how he's doing. And I always ask him to say hello to you. So, uh, listen, uh, he, he's doing a heck of a job over there. You know, I, I picked the Yankees uh, and the Dodgers to get to the World Series. And the Yankees fell uh, uh, one run and, and one one game short, but uh, they had a heck of a run. Well, I'll tell you, and I, and I was talking about I, I was uh, breaking down the postseason. I forget for what channel it was, but I Aaron happened to catch it, and I said, uh, you know, I picked Tampa Bay to, to get past him, and I get a text, oh, you don't believe? I said, I believe that Tampa's a better team than you this year. <laughs> and, I, and I kind of felt bad. I said, Aaron, of course I'm pulling for you. I said, but I got to be honest when somebody asks my opinion, and I just think this Tampa Bay this this year, this team, it they're just too deep I, from a pitching standpoint. So that's why I went with that. Right, their their bullpen is second to none. It really is. You're right. Good starting pitching, also. They've got about three or four guys over there that throw the ball 98 miles an hour plus and throw strike. That's a pretty form formidable uh, thing for hitters to compete against. And now they're playing against the Dodgers in the World Series. The Dodgers are a good team also. They really are. But I think I think, uh, I think think that Tampa Bay's got a good chance. And since I live here in the Tampa Bay area, uh, I'm certainly rooting for the, for the Rays. You got it. And, and let's get into your career a little bit, Lou. You, you won two world championships as a player. You know, coming in, we, we said rookie of the year in 69, year that I was born. How about that? And I remember watching, you know, everybody's got a lose story. And and uh, I remember watching you as a player, the old clips when I was playing for you. You were, man, you were hard-nosed. You were a blue-collar player. I mean, you brought your lunch pail and just let it all out there on the field. The way you approached the game back then compared to to the guys today. And, and I see a lot of, you know, I see the good and the bad in, in each one of our generations. But what's the difference do you see when, when you came up in 69 versus the kid coming up in 2020? 
Well, the, the biggest uh, thing is the salaries. When I first played in the big leagues my first year, I was making $10,000 a year with Kansas City. Made rookie of the year, and, and my second year jumped all the way to twenty five thousand. And I was, I thought I was, I struck it. I thought it, I had struck it rich, but today the players make a lot more money, and basically uh, they deserve it. They really do. Things have changed a lot. Uh, you know, the, the 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 today's player is is probably not as hard nosed as a whole as the players when I played, or even when you played, Brett. Uh, today, you know, the, the players uh, are a little more pampered. I don't think the manager uh, uh, can be like I remember when I first played for Billy Martin. You know, he, he demanded and, and he was tough, but we enjoy playing for him. And I sort of adopted that style. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I, I thought I was always very fair with the players. I put the people on the field that deserve to play. But today's player really is, uh, they've changed, it's changed so much. Uh, you, you know, you don't see too many stolen bases anymore. You don't see many hit and runs. You certainly don't see many bunts. Everything that is, is a home run ball, and I know you, you, you in a way were a, a prolific home run hitter as a second baseman, but you still hit close to 300 and you didn't strike out all that much. Today the hitters strike out a heck of a lot and they want to launch the ball. And, and, and they do. They're strong and they're physical. But I'll tell you the truth. I like the way the game was played a few years back more than I do the way it's played today. And I, and I got off. Uh, I talked to Pops, my dad, the other day, and I told him you were coming on. And he said, oh, that'll be great. You know, I said, yeah, I haven't caught up with Lou in a couple of years. And, and he's coming on the Boone podcast. And he said, hey, ask Lou. When you were playing for the Yankees, he goes, ask him about Jeff Zahn. And oh. every time he'd pitch for the Angels, he said, Lou would be yelling at me from the dugout the day before. He didn't want to face Zahn. Tell me a little bit well, about it, Jeff Zahn. Jeff Zahn was a left-handed, uh, yeah, uh, soft-tossing lefty for the Angels. Yeah, exactly. He, he was with Minnesota initially. And, right. Uh, you know, he threw that change up slower and slower. And, boy, I'll tell you what. It was tough for me to sit there and wait on the ball. I usually, I tried my first at bat uh, to go to right field with him because then I, I thought to myself, maybe I can get him to come in a little bit with his fastball or his little cut slider that he used to throw. But he was smart. I remember one time um, he threw me about four or five straight changeups and I swung and missed and I got frustrated and I turned around and I said, here, why don't you just hit me? And he said, I don't need to hit you. I can get you out anytime I want. <laughs> yeah. He did say. I remember one time we're playing the Angels and we were, uh, I was with the, with the Yankees and um, I had him on a three and three and one count in the ninth inning in a tie game. And he threw me a little fastball inside and I hit a home run to beat him. And I think I enjoyed that home run more than anyone I ever hit, but he was tough to hit. You know, he pitched, he threw a lot like Tommy John. He threw a lot like uh, 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 the kid that you had all that success in in, uh, in San Diego that pitched all those quick games. Randy. Randy Jones. Randy Jones. Yeah, these guys were, they were specialists. They were really good at what they did. What they did. And you had to be very patient with them because you would chase the illusion of the strike all the time. And, and, and this guy's on, he was extremely, extremely tough on me, but. You know, the amazing thing is, when I started managing, we started facing those type of pitchers. And basically what I started doing to beat them with more consistency was 
putting more left-hand hitters in the lineup and taking the changeup away from them. And we had success with them that way. What is, uh, what is Lou Pinella, the manager? What, what would you have thought? Lou Pinella, the manager, what do you think of Lou Pinella, the player? How would you have handled you as a player, as a manager? Well, let me tell you, first of all, I thought that uh, a few years uh, before I got to the big leagues, that I should have been given more opportunities uh, in, in the major league camp before being sent out. But then when I started managing and as I've gotten out of baseball, I looked at my talent. And like you said, uh, Brett, I was a blue collar guy. You know, I, I, I needed good people to surround me and I could compliment them very well. Uh, I love to hit with men in scoring position late in the games. I didn't strike out much. I hit the ball right center, left center. I was a tough out. And I enjoyed being up in those situations. But when you looked at my particular skills, I didn't run all that well. I was very average. Uh, my throwing arm was average. Uh, as a fielder, I was average. Power-wise, I was probably average or a little below, although I played in huge ballparks, Yankee Stadium in left field, in Kansas City, old, old municipal uh, stadium in Kansas City. So truthfully, I can see where a manager would bring me to camp. And then the compound thing, I would never go to camp uh, in, in good good shape. I thought that spring training was to get your, your uh, an opportunity to get in shape and that they looked at what you did the year before in AAA. But the manager would look at me and say, look, what the heck can this guy do? Uh, he probably uh, a good minor league hitter and that's it. But finally with expansion, I got an opportunity and uh, and things worked out well for me. As it did, it gave me more time, to, more time to mature and learn about hitting. And then when I went to Kansas City, I worked with a really good hitting coach, Charlie Lau. He helped me a lot. And I was able to play till I was 42 years old. So I got my time in at, at, the, at, at the end of my career as opposed to early in my career. Probably if I, if I had been rushed, I might have not played 17 or 18 years in the big leagues like I did. Yeah. And I was looking over before he came on. I, I was just looking over and, and I was thinking to myself, you know, I'm trying to define Lou Pinella, the manager. And, and I thought of three teams probably that you manage that are probably highlights in your career. Let's start with the first one. 1990 Cincinnati Red team. You know, you had the young Barry Larkin yeah. and uh, and the boogeyman, Eric Davis. And you had the nasty boys. You had Norm and uh, Dibble and Randy Myers. You had Jose Rio was your ace. Tell me a little bit about that. And you and and you went into Oakland that year and they had the Bash brothers in this, you know, star studded lineup. You guys swept them. Tell tell the uh, audience a little bit about that 1990 run with the Reds. Well, first of all, I went to spring training. Uh, uh in, in Plant City, and that was that year there was a little bit of a strike, so we, we got off to a little bit of a late start. And um, I looked at, at our team over there, and I, I had Tony Perez as my hitting coach, and Tony had been there for about five or six years with Pete Rose. And I said, Tony, I said, this team here has got a lot of talent. I said, why is it that, that they haven't won? He said, well, they, they – they're, 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 they, they're growing, and you've got to really push them and stay on them. Well, truthfully, we traded for um, we traded for Billy Hatcher right at the end of spring training to give us a leadoff hitter. And over the winter, we had traded for Randy Myers to give us the Nasty Boys, uh, John Franco, for John Franco. Right. Uh, and then uh, we traded for um, uh, Hal Morris and uh, played some first base for us with Todd Bedzinger and – Listen, I went to camp and, and I, 
I, I told, I talked to Barry. I said, Barry, look, you, you seem to me like you're the leader of this team. What a great player he was. And Eric Davis, what a wonderful, one of my favorite people in baseball. And I told him, I said, look, it's time that uh, this team wins. You finished second in this division three or four years. Uh, you know, this is a year that you guys got to grow up and, and get this thing done. And we got off to a 9-0 and or 10-0 and start. I don't remember. And, and we never looked back. We were in first place the whole way. The Dodgers made a little run on us uh, towards uh, the, the first or second week in September, but we won by five or six games. And, and then we played Pittsburgh. And what a, what a good team Pittsburgh had. They really had. They had Bonds. They had Bonilla. Uh, they had, um, uh, what the heck? I, I can't think of the names now, but I'll tell you what. They, they, they were talent. And Jim Leyland was a heck of a manager, too, over there. So uh, we had our hands full with them, but we beat them in six games. And then we played uh, uh, Oakland in the series. And uh, La Russa was the manager, Tony. And I grew up with Tony here in Tampa. We played on the same American League. American Legion team. In fact, he hit second in the lineup and I hit third. And um, they had the Bash brothers. They had Dave Stewart. They had Bobby Welsh. Uh, they had Dennis Eckersley. They had a heck of a team. But I felt good about our chances because their staff basically was a fastball throwing staff, especially their starters. And our kids could really hit the fastball. And at the same time, uh, we felt that we could overpower their big hitters, Canseco and, and McGuire and the rest of them, because we had a lot of velocity. And Rio had just an outstanding, outstanding series. And then I had Danny Jackson and Tom Browning, and I got them out of the games fairly quick and, and threw nothing but velocity at them. And our nasty boys dominated towards the end, and we swept them four games to nothing. It was it was a thrill. It really was. And uh, uh, I know I got a, a, a congratula congratulations from Mr. Steinbrenner, and he says, boy, you learn well from me. And I laughed like <laughs> I said, well, why, why, did, why, why, why didn't I just stay over there? Because, I, you know, I played for the Yankees, and I had the pinstripes on, on my back for about, six, uh, about nine or 10 or 12 years, 12, about 12 years, actually, as a player. And I would have loved to have won a world championship there in New York, but maybe your brother can do it. We'll see. And what about, all right, so that my second, you know, I looked at it, my second team that I'm pinpointing is that mid-90s Mariners team, and, and probably most famous was the 95, when it kind of, the, the, you know, and people in the Northwest, you know, they replay this and replay this, but uh, it kind of put Seattle on the map and kind of saved Seattle, but let's talk about the, the group of guys who I ended up, you know, I started off my career playing with quite a yeah. bit, the uh you know, the, the Edgars and, and the, um, the Buners and Randy Johnson and yeah. Junior and, and sure. Alex, a young Alex Rodriguez. Tell us about those years in the 90s in, in uh, Seattle. Well, we and then we're going to get to your favorite team, my team, the 116 Mariners, but that's next. Yeah, you know, the 95 Mariners team, um, I, first of all, my first year there, uh, uh, we finished 500 baseball. Um, second year, we – we we that was a year that the, the tiles came down from the kingdom, remember? And then right. the it was over. I thought we were going to win our division that year too. And then the third year, you know, we were about fourteen games out at the All Star break, and 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 we finally got a little healthy, and um, we started playing good baseball. We're really playing for the wild card, believe it or not. And the Angels in front of us kept faltering, and we finally caught them 
and we had that playoff game in 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 the kingdom uh in in a period of 24 hours we lost on sunday against the rangers and 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 california beat oakland and in 24 hours they sold out 56,000 seats at the kingdom and we were able to beat the angels that day the score was lopsided but ga- the game was really close for about 6 or 7 innings and and at at that at that time they had voted not to um, build the new stadium in Seattle. And because of that ball game there and the enthusiasm that it brought from, from the fans and, and from the people in the city, uh, they built a brand new Safeco field. And I'll tell you what, what a bunch of good kids, though. Randy Johnson, I mean, a Hall of Fame pitcher. Junior, you can't have a better ball player on the field than Junior. This he was, really can't. I had the front row seat to watch this young man play. For all those years, and by God, there's nothing he couldn't do on the field. He played the outfield like one of God's angels. He had a good throwing arm. He could steal a base. He could hit for power. He could drive in runs. He could hit for average. This guy was just great. And then Edgar, what a right-hand hitter he was. I mean, uh, there was no way to pitch Edgar. Really, you couldn't crowd him. You couldn't pitch him away. And 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 he hit and he got stronger and stronger as his career uh, went on. And then Buner, Buner was a leader, uh, just a natural leader. Uh, he, everybody in the clubhouse respected him. And um, we had a just a, you know, we, we lost the first two games in New York, uh, one on an extra innings, fourteen innings, and uh, then we came back to Seattle. And I thought that the mistake that that the that the Yankees made, if any. Uh, because Buck Showalter was a, a darn good manager. No, but he matched up McDowell against uh, Randy Johnson. And uh, Randy basically, with a full rest, was almost unbeatable in the kingdom. He really was. I think if he had held McDonald, Mc, McDowell back one more day and pitched their fourth game started the third game, I think I think they probably would have had us. But they we, we, we were able to beat McDowell and then – we won the next two games, and 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 the, the last game was just a what a what a ball game that turned out to be. We won it with uh, two runs in the bottom of the tenth. Um, Edgar hits that ball down the left field line, and Junior was on first. Cora was on third, and I saw Junior uh, rounding second, heading to third. And I'm looking at our coach Palazzo, and he's waving Junior in, and his strides getting longer and longer. And all hell broke loose. We won that ball game. And then we played well against Cleveland in in in, post- in the American League Championship Series. But the Cleveland was a good baseball team, and they beat us in six games. But it was a heck of a season for us. And you like like you mentioned, it 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 kept it kept baseball in Seattle, and for sure it got them that new stadium. But what a bunch of great kids! I mean, I I, I really enjoyed that whole bunch. I really did. The winners, uh, they they were they were uh, we had superstars like. Junior, obviously, and, and Randy is a pitcher, but we had a bunch, and, and Edgar, the way he could hit, but we had kids that played hard every day and, 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 and laid it on the line, and it was fun to manage that group. And let's skip forward to 2001, and when we won 116 yeah. games. Uh, what we did there was, was absolutely unbelievable. It really was. And you were a big part of it, Booney. You really were. I think, what, 40-some home runs that year. How many was it? You have it. 37. 37. Well, you see, I thought it was 42 or 43. And, and, <laughs> and the way you could hit that ball to right center field out of the ballpark. You know, the amazing thing about the kingdom, the ball carried much better to right right field and right center than it did to center and left. 
So you, you and Edgar use that alley out there as well as anybody. And um, 116 games. You know what's amazing? I, I, we, I knew we needed one more starter in postseason. I really did. I, I, I thought that we, we were one, one, one good starting pitcher sh- short, and, and we got extended. Remember, by Cleveland. Cleveland was pretty damn good. And we they were got, good. Yeah, they, they extended us to five games. So we had to use our, our number two and number one starters uh, the, 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 to get to the next round. And we started off uh, uh, postseason with our with our fourth and fifth starters, and we, we got into the hole, and then we won that ball game lopsided, and then you gave us the lead in uh, the next game with that home run around the fifth or sixth inning, and then the, the skipper went out there and ruined it for us <laughs> <laughs> when I um, when I brought in uh, uh, Rosey, and Rosey had been unhittable. Unhittable all year, but he 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 threw uh, David Justice a fastball uh, down three and one in the count, and and Justice hit it into the seats, and 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 they the next day they 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 won big, so they beat us in in what six games also, but yeah. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Well, and, and the thing about it is, because I'm sure, you know, you as well as me, you're, we're asked about it will probably be asked about that for the rest of our lives. You won 116 games and we didn't finish the deal. I'm asked about it all the time. And, and I'm trying to come up with scenario. You know, we had the 9-11 that year, uh, ah, but that was kind of equal for everybody, you know, and I just thought and I remember that year against the Yankees. We had their number in the regular season. I mean, we had beaten them pretty, pretty easily during the regular season. You know, uh, as well as anybody, that doesn't matter once the the lights turn on and you get to the postseason. But but I tell people about that season. We had an aura in that clubhouse in a group of guys that that wasn't an arrogant, cocky group of guys. It was just kind of there was an assumed confidence that when we took the field, it's almost like we looked at that other team. And they knew we were going to beat them. I don't think we lost a series, Lou, that year until September. 
No, it was unbelievable. It really was. It it was it was a, just an unbelievable season. I was so proud of our players. I mean, you know, big Olerud at first. Big Olerud. He's a vacuum over there. Saved my butt. And I tell you what, he could hit the ball. He wasn't a, a, a home run hitter per se, but I tell you what, he could he could he he was a professional professional hitter. Yourself at second base. I mean, uh, powers, uh, double play, defense, the whole thing. So we had all-stars at t- those two positions. At shortstop, we had Guillen, although he was hurt most of the year, uh, for most of the second half of the year. And, and McLemore came in from the outfield. What a job he did. It was the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. He hadn't played shortstop hardly at all, and, and he did a heck of a job. We had Ichiro, the, the oh, Ichiro coming out season. Ichiro, Ichiro. How about- <laughs> Remember that spring training? What we were all thinking, we're kind of looking at each other going, what is, what is going to happen here? Well, you know, it's amazing talking about Ichiro. You know, we had had him in our camp the year before, and we knew he could run. We knew he could make contact. We knew he could throw. We knew he could feel. Could he hit a major league fastball consistently every day in the big leagues? Because I think they throw much harder here in the American League, I mean, in the uh, major leagues than they do in Japan. So in spring training, the first three or four games, he kept slapping the ball by the third baseman. And everybody was really moved over towards left field on him. So I called I called his interpreter and I said, do me a favor. I said, I'd like to see Ichiro show me a little bat speed, see if he can pull the ball. So they get back over there in the end of the dugout and they're huddling together and they're laughing and so forth. Two innings later, Ichiro leads off the inning. They throw him a high fastball. He hit it into the bullpen in right field for a home run. Runs around the bases, steps on home plate, comes up to me, and he says, "Happy now?" I said, "Yeah, you can do what the hell you want." The rest. Of the <laughs> I remember that spring, and uh, I got a couple stories from that year, and and I remember, you know, it was April, and we win twenty games. Then we get into May, we win twenty games again. We get to the All Star break. And we're ahead so many games. And I remember the press coming to me and saying, you know, Booney, because for the people out there that don't know, I came up as a rookie. Uh, I played under Lou and I got traded over to the Cincinnati Reds. And then long story short, eight, nine years later, I come back to the Mariners and uh, the press says to me, they said, you know, uh, your first time around, you know, Lou was a little more fiery. And it doesn't it seem like, like as time goes on, uh, he's really mellowed out. And I looked at the reporter. I said, you tell Skip, he's sitting in his office. We win every night. If he can't be mellow in, during this season, I don't know when he's going to be mellow. I agree with you, Tony. <laughs> and I laugh. But my, my favorite is this, and I want to ask you if you remember. It was in Oakland. You'd come up to me two or three days. I'd played about 50 or 60 in a row, and you said, Booney, I want to give you a day off. You know, we got to start preparing for the postseason. I said, Skip, I said, I don't need a day off. I'm locked in. And that year I was. I had one of those rare seasons where start to finish, I was just in the zone. And I said, Skipper, no. And he said, Booney, come on. I want to give you a rest. And I said, no, I'm playing. So it's I go up and, and you put me in the lineup. And uh, I think I strike out my first at bat. And my second at bat, I pop one up straight to the catcher. So I'm 0 for 2, and I walk into the dugout, and this, for the people that don't know Lou, this is so Lou, he he kind of announces to the whole dugout, and we had that relationship where we were good and we could talk to each other this way, but Lou announces to the dugout, hey, guys, 
If you're if you're waiting on Boone today, you're going to be waiting a long time because he was supposed to have a day off and he talked me into letting him play. I ended up going 0 for 4 and I went into your office after the after the game and I said, Skip, next time you want to give me a day off, I'll just take the day off, whatever you say. And that was kind of a learning lesson for me. But kind of a fun story. And at the time, we were up 15 or 20 games, so we could laugh about it then. Yeah, Oakland, you re- won, Oakland won 103 games that year, and they only got beat by 13. That's unbelievable, isn't it? And it you know, really you know, And we got slowed down a little bit, too, after September 11th, after September 1st, because uh, um, um, we were in Anaheim, I remember, and we're really playing well, and we, we missed about – we had to stay in Anaheim four games before we could catch a plane back to Seattle. right. And it, it, it sort of set us back a little bit. But tell you what, 116 win, it's, um, it's unbelievable. And we had a chance to win that 117th, the last game of the year, and we got beat by Texas. Palmero hit a couple home runs up into the upper deck in right field. You remember this a l- way better than I do. Yeah, I remember that part of it. You know, and, and the amazing thing about it, Pat Gillick, our general manager, uh, we, I had a talk with him uh, in September towards the end. I said, look, Pat, what, what, what do you suggest we do here? This guy here, what a good baseball mind he had. And we had a wonderful rapport. In fact, the two general managers I had in Seattle, I couldn't, I couldn't be happier with, Woody Woodward and, uh, and, and Pat Gillick. But anyway, Pat said, look, let these guys play. Uh, you know, rest them from time to time, but let them play because, uh, uh, listen, uh, uh, winning, winning 116 games is, is, is something that, that 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 hasn't been done in baseball, and, and we did. But I tried to rest the team as good as I could, and 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 at the same time rest our starting pitching. But it worked out well. We if we had been extended to five games in in in, in uh, the first round against Cleveland, I think we'd have fared much better against the Yankees. Now, would we have beat them? I'm gonna tell you what. You're facing Roger Clemens. You're facing Andy Pettit. You're facing El Duque. Uh, you're facing David Wells. <laughs> That's pretty yeah. formidable every day, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, I mean, that was definitely, you know, that was. That was a dominant team. The only thing is it was that year. And that's why the players that I talked to, you know, time to time we get together and we still talk about it. It's like, but that year it didn't matter. You know, it didn't matter who we were facing. We were going to win every night. And yeah. I, it's almost like we were kind of shell shocked when we lost. Like we went into to series almost assuming that we were going to win a series. And, you know, next thing you know, we're, we're packing and going home. So it was an unbelievable year. One of, one of my favorite years I, I've yeah. ever played oh, this favorite. game. Yeah, one of my favorites, too. And I, I was so proud of the players. And, I, you know, what a bunch of good kids. We had Danny Wilson behind home plate, Ichiro. Uh, Cameron. About Cameron in center field. What a, what a, what a player he was, too. And yeah. then Macklemore, Stanley Javier. You know, Stanley Javier would come in my office from time to time and he'd say, you know, you haven't played me in three or four days. He said, get, my, get, get me in the lineup. And when players came to talk to me about playing, I listened to them. I really did because I was a player also, and and um, I, I I I I I liked players that liked to play and wanted to compete, and I wanted to win. And Stanley would tell me, "You got to get me in the lineup." So now I play him three or four days, and he come into my office. He says, "Hey, listen, I'm not an everyday player. You got to stay dressed." <laughs> but he was a nice he was a nice little player also, wasn't he? And a, and a real great – he had a big impact in that clubhouse. He was a veteran guy, a pro. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, the young guy, younger guys, although we were kind of a veteran team, but, but he was a guy that people leaned on and it, it, that, that year it was picture perfect. Everything, you know, wherever you plugged him in, he did a job. Macklemore was the super utility. He played second, short, third, left. Uh, he was all over. I mean, that was just, it was a magical year. And, uh, you know, we, we, we got that accomplished with, without junior, uh, mm-hmm. Randy Johnson, and without yeah. Alex Rodriguez, I mean, three, three, three super, super players. Imagine yeah. you add that to our mix. My gosh. Uh, what, what, but, but anyway, what, what a year. What a year. And, 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 and Pat Gillick was just a, a joy to work with. He really was. Love Pat. That's a, that's a true pro. I got a <clears throat> managing, you know, and for the guys out there that say managing's easy when you've got a, a lineup full of stars, What what is the different, what are the, you know, what are the challenges of having a star-studded lineup like the junior Alex Edgar lineup versus having, you know, later in your career, you managed in Tampa Bay where you didn't have that, that fanfare. You had young developing players. Uh, what's the difference between having that, that, that star-studded lineup, that veteran lineup with established players versus maybe a young, talented, up-and-coming? What, what are the challenges? Well, let me tell you this. Give me the uh, – the star-studded lineup, give me the veteran players, give me the players uh, that know how to win, that have been through the wars. Uh, let me put them on the field and, and let them play. Stay out, stay out of their way and let them play. The younger kids, you got to teach a lot more. You know, I had, I had some decent talent over there in Tampa Bay. I just didn't have pitching. But my lineup on the field, believe it or not, was, was okay. But we had a, a mid-20 million payroll, and we couldn't put pitching and hitting – I mean, both of them together. And, but our lineup, our lineup every day competed. It really did. But our pitching, we just, we couldn't, we couldn't compete with the rest of these teams in the American League East, the Red Sox, the Orioles, Toronto, and the Yankees. But I would rather manage the the veteran team, the team that's ready to win, uh, that's ready to compete, uh, uh, that, that needs a finishing product. And, and, and let me tell you what else you find out as a manager. The more talent you have, the better off you're going to do. There's no question about it. But, you know, the amazing thing is there are teams for the season and then there are teams for postseason. And what I found out in my career, what you need is deep starting pitching in postseason because if not, it it can get away with you innings-wise real quick. Okay. You think all your years managing, what what does Lou Pinella think? How many wins – does a manager make a difference throughout the course of a 162 game schedule? Uh, you know, that's a good question. Uh, I, 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 I don't know that. I do know that, that the manager can set the tone. Uh, that's why I always enjoyed having coaches that played in the big leagues that have been through the wars in the big leagues, because basically uh, they keep things going for you there. You got to have a good, st- good coaching staff that helps you. I, I enjoyed letting my pitching coach do his job. I enjoyed my hitting coach do his job. Uh, you know, these guys are professionals in their own areas. And uh, you need a good trainer, too. And we had that in Seattle with Rick Griffin. I've had that with uh, Gene Monahan in, in New York. Uh, good, good, solid people. You need a good staff around you. But, but truthfully, I, I, like I mentioned before, I would much rather be, uh, manage the uh, the team that that that's ready to win as opposed to the one that you got to develop. 
although they present different challenges. But uh, I, I'll tell you what, I, you know, I, I came from New York where we were used to winning as a player, and we were in the, in the series quite a few times. And, um, you know, I was probably a little too intense my whole career. I wish I had not been quite as intense as I was, but, you know, it motivated me and kept me going. And I, I didn't enjoy losing at all, really. Actually, truthfully, to be honest with you, I was scared of losing. Scared of losing. <laughs> and, Skip, I I, uh, I know you don't like pitchers, but but not, none of us hitters really do like the pitchers, do we? I, I don't think we do. No, I, I like, you know what, pitchers that, that throw strikes – uh, yeah. <laughs> and don't drive you crazy. They don't know the ones that didn't throw strikes. I didn't like. I'll be honest. With you. <laughs> and, and, and and you know most most of your younger pitchers are the ones that basically struggle with the command. The ones that stick around for quite a few years, uh, they've already learned that art. You know, I don't mind a pitcher getting hit. I really didn't. I didn't mind that at all. That's part of the game. The hitters are getting paid to hit. Pitchers are getting paid to get you out. So basically, if they got hit, it's because the other guys were earning their money. But boy, when you put them on base and you're three and one, three and two on every count with the other teams running and the infielders are moving, it's just hard to win. And uh, look, I respect the pitchers, but I, I I like the ones that throw through the strikes. And I would think if you ask your, your brother in New York, he'd tell you the same thing. Let's get to uh, how about how about umpires now from a managerial standpoint. Now we know, you know, as players, especially guys that played for you and know your personality. I knew sometimes you were going out there to talk to an umpire for one reason, and I knew sometimes you were going out there for another reason. I, I talked to uh, last week last last week on the podcast. I talked to Joe West, the guy that's been been there and doing it for forty four years. He had great things to say about you, and he talked about you know from when he came up in seventy six and Earl Weaver to Lou to uh, he mentioned a lot of different managers. What what was your relationship overall with the umpires in general? You know, I got along with them well. You know, uh, once in a while I get kicked out of the ball game, and I I'd send them a nice steak dinner over to their, uh, their, their, um, where they, where their office in the ballpark at the, ne- the next day here, enjoy a nice steak dinner on me. But I'll tell you what they, they, they look, it, it's, it's a difficult situation being an umpire. And truthfully, I liked it a lot better uh, than, than now, you know, I don't let, I don't think they let umpires really call the game like they should. Uh with, with these replays all the time and everything else and throwing the handkerchief on the field and umpires huddling. I think fans enjoy a good manager argument confrontation from time to time, you know? And, and, I, and I, yeah. And I also think too, you know, I have fans talk all the time and, and ask questions and, and the questions asked is, you know, what, what is protocol? What are these written rules, unwritten rules? And I say, you know, I, I think nowadays, they take so much power away from the or, or the umpire is instructed to take back in our day, even 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago, we took care of business on the field. No and, and, it, and it wasn't something where, you know, people are, you know, they don't know what really goes on. Oh, the manager told him to hit it. No. When you had those veteran teams, you had pitchers in that bullpen that took care of their players. It was an eye for an eye. And once once we were square, it's a tip of the cap and it's all right, that's over with. Let's move on. Nowadays, 
they really, I mean, you throw a pitch inside and there's warnings to both dugouts. And next thing you know, you've got your star pitcher that if he drills somebody, he's going to miss a start and you can't really afford to do that. Uh, I don't like it. I like us refereeing ourselves. I like eye for an eye and, and letting the players handle it. Uh, I, I would assume that you're kind of from that same school. I agree with you totally. The only thing that I always used to tell my pitching coaches, look, I don't like, I don't want any, don't throw anybody's head. I don't want, I don't want the ball around somebody's head. You can really hurt somebody. You can kill somebody. Uh, pick out a nice spot in a rib cage somewhere or in the hip, because that portion of the body is not going to be able to move out of the way. And, 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 and if you're going to drill them, do it there, but stay away from the head area. I, I never liked the fact that, uh, that, that, that pitchers, uh, knock knock people down uh, uh, headwise because you can get hurt if you get hit in the jar you can get a broken jar i mean you can have a concussion you can have anything so we used to tell the pitching coach when 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 you do what you have to do and i used to tell the pitching coach also look i don't want during the course of the game tell these guys what to do they know what they're supposed to do these players are out in the field performing for them and and they're busting their butts for them so when they need to protect their hitters or their players on the field just get it done Toughest place to manage? Uh, boy, I'll tell you what, Wrigley Field wasn't all that easy. Uh, Fenway Park in Boston uh, and Ti- Old Tiger Stadium when uh, the, 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 not the new Tiger Stadium, not the new stadium in Detroit, but the Old Tiger Stadium, the smaller ballparks. And you know, at Wrigley Field, it's amazing. Uh, you can start the game and the wind's blowing out and you think to yourself, boy, we're going to really pound the ball today. And, and all of a sudden, by the fifth inning, that lake, that wind starts coming back uh, from Lake Michigan and right in your face, and it's hard to score a run. It's like playing the British Open. Yeah, the wind's blowing out, and then it's blowing in, and it's starting to rain. But probably Wrigley Field was, wasn't an easy place to manage, no. Being the manager of the New York Yankees, you sat there. Uh, obviously, Joe Torrey won four rings there. My brother's currently in that in that home clubhouse for the New York Yankees. Explain to to the fans the difference in being the manager of the New York Yankees in probably the biggest, the mecca of baseball in in our country. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Without question. Uh, and that Boston Red Sox-New York Yankees uh, uh, rivalry is second to none in non-baseball. Probably the Cubs and the Cardinals have a real nice rivalry going in the National League Central. And maybe the Giants and the Dodgers out on the West Coast. But I'll tell you what, in New York, the fans love their baseball. Uh, but they expect you to win. There's been a lot of winning tradition in in, 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 in in New York. And you take a look at the stadium when you get there and all those World Series pennant flow, uh, uh, blowing in the breeze. 
And then you go out to the Monument Park and, and you see all the great players that played there. And, you know, talking about great players, just in the past few years, a couple of my favorite people in all of baseball, they were older than me, but Whitey Ford, uh, Yogi Berra, they passed away. Uh, they were great Yankees. But I'll tell you what, it's special. It's special going out on, on, on the field and, and putting on those pinstripes. It really is. You're, you're representing greatness and you're representing an organization that's had the most success in all of Major League Baseball. And it's an honor and a thrill. And my favorite time in New York when I first was there was Old Timers Day because at that time, all these old Yankee players like Mickey Mantle and greats, Joe DiMaggio, Elston Howard, uh, Hank Bauer, Gene Woodling, the rest of these guys, uh, uh, Whitey was there, Yogi, uh, unbelievable. And at that time, the players basically uh, lockered with you. So that particular day, if the manager wanted to give me a rest and I could sit around and talk to these guys, I loved it. But now when you go to an old-timers day, <laughs> they don't, you don't dress. You dress in the separate quarters uh, away from, from the rest of the players. But, boy, what a, what a fun day in, 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 in Yankee Stadium for old-timers day when all those great old Yankees would come back. Uh, what, uh, Don Larson, um, um, Bobby Shantz. Unbelievable. It, it's unbelievable. Hector Lopez. I remember Hank Bauer. I mentioned most of them. But, yeah, it was a thrill for me to see them. And they'd tell their old war stories. And, 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 and I remember when I went over uh, with the Yankees, uh, Mickey Mantle used to come to camp every once in a while. And, um, and he'd be there when Billy was a manager and he'd bring him, he'd bring, he'd bring Mickey in as a look uh, as an instructor, but also for, to accompany, accompany him after the games to have a couple cocktails. And, <laughs> yeah. And, 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 uh, I was sitting, I was standing behind the cage one day and, and, and uh, this was after I'd been there probably six or seven years. We already played in a few World Series and won. And he asked me one day, he said, Louis, he says, can I ask you a question? Yeah. He says, how much money are you making? I said, Mickey, I'm making 130000 He says, I'm going to go throw up. He said, the most I ever made in my career was $100,000. And I think I was a little better than you. I said, no shit. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, what, 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 what great players they had over there in, in, in New York and, and how many World Series and, and pennants that they win. And it, it and your brother's got to be loving the situation over there coming from the booth uh, down to uh, down to the field and, and, and managing that great franchise. I wish him nothing but the best. He's a class guy. His hairline's moving back, though. I noticed that. He, 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 I, I, I noticed when I was managing the Cubs, I'd see him. He'd come over doing some TV work, and I said, boy, what a good-looking young guy. Nice, nice, good-looking young guy. And I tell you what, I saw him this past summer a few times on TV. He had, he had, he had, his hair had moved back a little bit, and he had <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> well, Skip, I, I, you know, people, uh, and you've probably heard this a lot, but, you know, a lot of – when I talk to people, when I talk to fans, what's Lou like? And, and there's so many Lou stories, so many great stories, so many great memories I have. Um, and I always, and tell me if I, if I'm right, when I sum it up this way, I said, Lou Pinella is a man that if he respects you as a man and he respects you as a player, he will take a bullet for you. 
I agree with you, Tony. And if he, and if he doesn't, you better get a lot of hits. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, the amazing thing about it is, is that all the years that I spent playing with the Yankees, the only thing they talked about over there was winning, 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 winning. It wasn't having fun. It wasn't uh, relaxing. Hey, you come to the ballpark uh, with a purpose every day, and that's to compete and 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 to win a baseball game. And that's basically what I what I took out of there more than anything else. And maybe at times, maybe at times I might have overdone it. But you know what? Truthfully, I think that I enjoyed the players that I managed. I respected them. Uh, I gave them ample opportunities to perform. And if they they felt and if they performed, they played. I I, I didn't play favorites. Uh, I didn't have a doghouse. Uh, I just, uh, I, I, but I, you know, I learned from Billy. Let the guys play. Uh, uh, give, get, get, let them give you a hundred percent on the field, and go out there and compete and kick somebody's butt. And that's what that's basically what what it's all about when you play sports. And I know it's changed now. I don't think that that approach would work in today's game. I really don't. Uh, I think you you got to be softer and gentle with more gentle with the players. Uh, you, you 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 know you can't you can't be nearly as tough. Uh, I think when I played a, a, a lot, the manager the players had to adjust to the manager. I think today's game probably the manager has to adjust to the player. I'll tell you, I I, th- I think about that a lot, and I see the modern game, and I think there's a lot of great things in this modern game, and I think. Man, the young talent that's out there, the Sotos and this Tatis kid, uh, it's it's really fun to watch that. But I almost think it's easier being a rookie in the big leagues. There's no fear. I came up and, and Lou was one of my first skippers in Seattle. And I came up, but I had some fear. Like if I stepped out of line, Chris Bazio and, and Jay Buna were going to grab me by the next skip. Lou's going to send me to the minor leagues. If I didn't keep get my act together and it's almost like, you know, I grew up in this game. I grew up with going to the ballpark as a kid, but it's different when you're a player and it's almost like, man, I got to earn my stripes. I got to show these guys that I'm a big leaguer. And, it, and it's almost like I was proving myself every day. I see these young players come to the big leagues now and I don't see those veteran guys stepping in and kind of, Hey, you, you know, I, I was told when I was a rookie, you speak when you're spoken to. You get to the ballpark, you do your early work, and you go play the game. Um, that's just how I see it. Yeah, it, it's changed. It really has. How? What would have happened to you when, when you hit those 37 home runs at, if you were dancing and high-fying and everything outside? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. They cut my suit in 10 pieces. They would stick me stick me in a closet somewhere and say, you don't come out for a week. And, and you know, I don't want to be that guy either, that, that older guy that says, oh, our era was the best. You know, I'm not that. I can, I can relate. I've got a son that just signed with the Washington Nationals. He's 21 years old. So I have to deal with that, you know, and there's a lot of good things there. But there's – I tell people, you, you take it from each other. Man, there's a lot of great stuff from, from Lou Pinella's generation. There's a lot of great stuff from my generation. Yeah. And, there can, you know, and there can be a lot of great stuff from this, this current generation. You put it all at once, all together. But, but I'm with you on the, on the young player coming up. Man, you, were, you spoke when you were spoken to. Uh, 
I was scared to death of Lou Pinella. I know sometimes when I yelled, when me and you would argue, I didn't act like I was scared, but I was scared. But I wanted to prove to my skipper that, hey, I'm a big leaguer, Lou, and I'm going to prove to you I am. Good and and that's, that's the way it was back then. That out of the player. You don't know how many times, uh, like, like you mentioned in Oakland, when you, you wanted to play and you talked me into getting you in, how many times players would come in and say, look, I belong in the lineup today, this and that and the other. I, I, I'd give him my reasons why why not. And he said, put me in there, I'm going to prove it to you. I'd give him the opportunity. Why not? Hey, listen, uh, the, the, the players are the ones that get the wins on the field. The manager can put people in places where they can succeed. But outside of that, the players get it done on the field. And I, I, that's what I learned more than anything else. Let the players play. Uh, give, them, give them all the rope you can. Uh, but in- insist that they play hard and play to win. And that's it. Let them do their job. Stay out of their way. Well, Skip, I appreciate this. This is so fun for me to 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 catch up with you. You know, I I, I, I think so highly of you. And, and our time together, uh, I'll never forget it. Uh, Lou Pinnell, and, and what we do here on the Boone Podcast at the end, the voice of the, of the podcast, Dan Levy, will come in and He's always got a question or two. Tony, what a great baseball family you come from, from your, well, great, from your grandfather, uh, Ray Boone, to your dad, uh, to your brother, to yourself. Uh, you, you, you've all have been uh, uh, just a, a, a tremendous influence on the game of baseball, and uh, we're so proud of you. I appreciate it, Lou. Dan? Lou, I got a couple quick questions for you. First of all, all thanks right. again for coming on. First and from foremost. Softball, will you? I'll throw you a good softball. You ready? Yeah. The White Sox have a vacancy. The rumor of a name has been Tony La Russa. Apparently, sources to him have uh, said there could be an interest there. Should the guys on the south side come calling for you, would you be interested so. in that job? No, I'm, I'm 77 years old, and, uh, you know, I retired 10 years ago. And I, I enjoy my life now with my grandkids and, and my family. And, and uh, my wife's been traveling quite a long time with me 43 years at the big league level so it's time for me to stay home and enjoy life a little bit but uh i didn't realize that the white Sox had let renteria go oh yeah that was like one of the first moves they did the minute the season ended so i I didn't know that i'm sorry you know here in tampa for whatever reason we only get a newspaper on wednesday and sunday now and when you watch uh, uh, uh the espn and the rest of these things uh they talk more football and, and, and hockey and, and basketball and, and baseball, but I, di- I didn't notice that, uh, that Renteria had been let go. They had just let him go, and like I said, they've actually have admitted that Tony LaRusso was somebody that they are uh, actually maybe thinking about hiring at 70, in his 70s. So I didn't know if he came to you if you'd want in. 76 years old. He's been out of it for a while, but obviously he he's a Hall of Fame manager, and he's been one of the, 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 the best managers uh, certainly in, in, in my era and probably uh, he, he's won, what, the second most games in the big leagues. I think he'd probably be a good hire for the White Sox. Even though you came from managing New York, and you guys actually touched on this already, how shockingly difficult was it to manage in Chicago, especially with the fan base? You know, uh, managing the Cubs was something that I think everybody should experience. Uh, I really do. I uh, You know, with the Billy Goat, and, and and the fact that the Cubs hadn't won in such a long time, the great fan base. When I went to the Hilton Hotel for uh, Cub Fest, 
my first two years, I, I couldn't believe what was going on there. It, it was just unbelievable. And, you know, the Cubs have their, their great players also. I, I, I really enjoyed having Ernie Banks, uh, Billy Williams, uh, Ron Sano around me all the time. Uh, what, what, what a thrill it was for me. You know, I, I, I like being around great players and, 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 and personalities. And, 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 you know, and, and Wrigley Field, uh, uh, the Cub fans are knowledgeable. They, 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 they come to the ballpark. Now, they party before the games. There's no question. <laughs> <laughs> you know? They but do. I'll tell you what, they, they, they come to the ballpark to, to, to see your team win. And, I, you know, my first two years there, we won division titles. My third year, we had a winning season. And then my fourth year, uh, my mom was really doing not doing well in, in August. So I had to go home at the end of August. And. Uh, but I enjoyed my four years there. It's a heck of a nice city, and and um, and and managing in Wrigley Field, it, it's a challenge. It really is. And speaking of which, as a former manager of the Cubs, did you think to yourself when Joe Madden and the 2016 Cubs were winning, what that might feel like? Did it kind of go through your head, like, man, I wish I was, I wish that was kind of me right now? Or are you kind of, uh, you know what, good oh, for him? Oh, look, look, you know the amazing thing. Before I went to the Cubs, I had opportunities to go to about two or three other teams. And uh, my wife loved the city of Chicago. I love the challenge of the city of Chicago winning with the Cubs. So I went there. And, you know, I enjoyed myself. We had good teams. We really did. I mean, I, I took over a team uh, that had lost 98 ball games the year before, and we won our, our division. We didn't do well in postseason. Uh, the second year, we won the most games in the majors. And, again, we didn't do well in postseason. And I probably – I blame myself for that. And the reason being, I, I should have had a meeting with the team and said, look, we haven't won over here since whatever year. It's been a long time. Nobody really expects all that much from you. Go out there and relax and have some fun and play. And I didn't do that. And and, and that's my only regret, really, I, that I should have relaxed the team a little more prior to. But, you know, I was always a very confident guy. I thought I thought we would win there in postseason. I really did. I had confidence in my players. We just didn't we, we didn't play well. I think they tightened up. And if, if I had loosened them up a little bit, I think we'd have done better. Last and final question. What was your favorite thing to eat in Chicago? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> when I left Chicago, I was weighing 245 pounds. <laughs> the, the, my, my wife showed me pictures of that the other day, and I said, my God, unbelievable. And I'm down to 210 pounds now, so I've lost Good. 35 pounds since then. But I'll tell you what, what, what did I eat? I, I, I ate steak. I ate Italian food. I ate uh, on the way home. You know, the amazing thing in the clubhouse in Chicago, uh, they do a great job bringing in food from all these nice restaurants in the afternoon because we play a lot of afternoon games. And then I get home, maybe stop at Portillo's. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh, to get a, a little bite to eat over there. And then I get home and my wife says, we got some people in from Tampa. So I used to go out to Joe Stone Crab. I go out to Gibson's. I go out to, uh, 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 what is it? Uh, something Italian. I forget. Uh, uh, Was it Rosebud? Rosebud Italian, exactly. So good. Yeah. What, what wonderful places. And then the pizza. The pizza was excellent, too. I mean, 245 pounds. I, I couldn't believe I was weighing that much. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lou, I wanted to thank you for coming on. Brett, you got anything else for him before we wrap it up? I'm good. Thanks, Skipper. Thank you. All right. Stay and safe, my friend. And, and good luck with uh, getting your kids out of high school. 
and good luck with your young man over there in Cincinnati. You got it. Thank you. And nice for, talking to you. And for those of you who want to follow Brett on Twitter, please go ahead and do so at, at the Moon 29 We want to thank you. You do a hell of a job. Thanks, Skip. Yeah. We want to thank Lou Pinella. We want to thank everyone for downloading, subscribing. Please continue to share and tell all of your friends, families, neighbors. This podcast is growing by leaps and bounds. We're pumped that you're here for the ride. And for the Silver Slugger, the Golden Glover, the All-Star, Brett Boone, I'm Dan Levy. You can follow me on Twitter at Base on Air, And we'll see you guys next week right here on the Boone Podcast. See you guys. 2400 Sports is an Odyssey company. 